let me pray for us, and we're going to move right into our business meeting and go from there. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for the fact that every good and perfect gift comes from above. And God, those gifts come in so many different forms. One of the greatest gifts you give us is just the gift of relationships and friendships, the gift, gift of a local church. God, thank you for, for that. And we, we don't take that for granted. We don't take that lightly. Father, we know there are brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who their gatherings today would have looked very different, but they also gathered in the name of Jesus. And we are so thankful for being connected to them. And we, we pray that what we do here would be honoring and glorifying to you and it would be part of what you're doing around the world. And tonight, as we work our way through these different business items and we finish out the State of the Church Address, God, I pray that our hearts would be drawn to you in faith and that we would seek to live for you each day as we go from this place. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this will call to order our business meeting. We do this three times a year. If you're new to Emmaus, we meet once in the spring to look back at the end-of-year financials and look ahead to the summer. We meet in August and we meet in December. So we meet three different times, usually late April, August, December for business meetings. If we need to meet sometime else during the year, obviously we can do a special call business meeting, but that's, that tends to be how things work. First would be committees. We need to vote for new members of committees. A reminder of how committees work at Emmaus, we have four committees, which if you've been a part of other churches in the past, four is pretty good. Uh, it tends to be, I don't know why this is, the smaller the church in attendance, the more committees there are. And as you get larger in churches, there tend to be less committees. So we have a finance committee, a personnel committee, and a building and grounds committee. And then in true Baptist fashion, we have to have a nominating committee to get people on those committees. So technically we have four. The finance, the personnel, and the building and grounds, the way that works at Emmaus is, if you think about a checks and balance system, the committees are lay people in the church who are keeping, a watch, keeping watch over those areas. Uh, the staff can't just hire whoever they want. They can't spend money however they want. They can't just build a new building next week. Like These things need to go through a process. And so committees are our layperson checks and balance to partner in ministry uh, with the staff and the pastors is essentially how it works. Three-year rotations on our committees. Every year, two people rotate off. And you're adding two new people. So when you look at your handout tonight, the names in boldface are the ones that are being nominated to be added. And then all the committee members are listed there with their terms and when they, when they expire. So this comes as a recommendation from the nominating committee. We do this differently at different times. If you find your name on this list, just, you know, probably to do this correctly, why don't you step out just for a moment, if, you, if your name happens to be on this list here, uh, and you're going to be, you're going to be voted on, so, Justin, Dana, Chad, Tabitha, Brad, Jackie, Andy, if you're on there, I'm certain you're safe, but, you know, let's just, uh, let's do this, uh, do this appropriately here. So what I was going to say was, this comes as a recommendation from the nominating committee, so it doesn't need a second. 
uh, but it is open for discussion. Does anyone have any questions about committee at Emmaus or the names that are being presented here? Anybody have any questions about that? You're just thankful you're not on this list. So that's really what it, that's really what it comes down to. So just, I, would, I would suggest somewhere between September and October, just not answering any phone calls from me or any, uh, any text messages or emails. That's usually safest September, October. Don't answer anything from me. That's kind of how it works. Okay, these nominations are made in mass. They're made all at one time by the nominating committee, so we vote on them all at one time. You're voting on the compilation of names right here. All in favor of receiving these committee nominations, say aye. Any opposed? Same sign. Okay. Jeff, can you go let the people back in from the committees? I know that's probably unnecessary. I just always hate not doing that. Okay. Brian, would you come and talk about the financial statement? Anything you want to say about next year's budget? And then I'll come back up and we need to vote on the budget. So let's do financials. I have a copy of the budget right here. Do you have a copy? You got a copy of the budget. Hello, everyone. everyone. You should have a two-page financial statement, and it's really it's two individual pages, but there's information on the back of the first. So it's, it's a total of three pages. And we'll go through this fairly quickly, but if you've got any questions, certainly we'll, we'll welcome any questions. Uh, this is through October 31st, so first 10 months of the year. Uh, November's uh, just ended, so the financials aren't complete for November yet, but we always look at them through October. Um, we've got three different financials, and I'll walk through each of those. And uh, the first one is the balance sheet. Uh, that represents uh, our assets and any liabilities that we might have, so what we own and what we owe, if anything. Uh, you can see that we've got a total of $11 million in assets. Truth is, our, our buildings and facilities are probably worth well more than that at market value, but this is based on what we paid for everything. Uh, we've got a million seventy-four, almost $1,075,000 in cash in the bank, which is really exceeds what I expected. I had anticipated our cash balance would be down in October of this year compared to October of last year because of the West property uh, project. And... Uh, it's God's just continue to bless, and, and uh, the churches continue to give. They've managed that project really well. The staff and the, and the contractors managed it really well, kept costs down in a time of rising costs. And so uh, uh, our cash balance has actually grown since this time last year, which is a, it's a good thing. The finance committee has, uh, you'll notice when we look at the revenue expense schedule, you'll see some interest earned on this cash. Uh, we've done okay. But the Finance Committee has, has voted to move some of our excess cash into some short-term CDs that are very safe. It's not like we're investing in the stock market or anything like that. But with interest rates being up, we can you know, earn 45 to 5.5% on, on some of those CDs right now. So that's in the works as well. And so it's just a, a shuffling of some, some cash, some available cash over into some, some um instruments that make a little bit more interest income for us. If we're going to have the cash, we might as well, uh, might as well earn some money on it, right? Uh, as, if you look down toward the bottom, you'll notice we have very little in the way of liabilities. In fact, those are just two really short-term liabilities that were 
happened to be there at October 31st and they got paid as soon as we rolled into November. So they were just some, some temporary timing things. So literally only had about $600 on, in liabilities at the end of October. Uh, that last number down there, the 845,000 temporarily restricted, think of that as um, funds that have been earmarked for certain projects. And, and that's, that, this number will equal what you see on the third page. That's a list of those earmarked projects. So sometimes we call them restricted funds, sometimes we call them designated funds. What they really are are funds that have either been given, where the giver had uh, specified an intended purpose for that. Maybe they wanted it to go toward missions. Maybe they wanted it to go toward the building. Maybe they wanted it to go toward some project. Um, there's also funds in those, in those restricted counts that the finance committee has earmarked for certain projects. So we, we find out about certain projects that, that we want to undertake maybe during the course of the year or the coming year and we start to, to um, earmark some funds for those projects so that when we get to that point, the funds are already there um, and, and we're not, uh, we don't have to borrow money uh, or we don't have to, uh, you know, go looking for it or incur some sort of debt. So, so that's the balance sheet. The second page is the revenue and expense schedule. And you'll see four columns of numbers. The first column is just the month of October. So I'm not really going to focus on the month of October because what I want to focus on is the year to date in that second column. That's January through October, uh, actual, actual cash activity. That third column is our budget year to date. So if you want to do a little comparing, you're, you're welcome to do that. But we're going to kind of focus on that second column. Um, if you have a short attention span and you just want to cut through all the details, if you go all the way to the bottom, that $40,000 represents uh, our excess of revenue over expenses. So we're to the good by $40,000 through October, which is really good. Uh, a lot of times, most of any excess that we have during the course of the year is generated in November and December. And we hope that that, so we hope that, that continues to grow. But usually by September, October, if we're pretty close to break even, we're, we're doing really well because we anticipate uh, much higher giving in those last two months of the year. Um, if you look at the revenue section up at the top, there's basically made up of three, three items, the, the ties that are given, uh, any bank interest that's, that's been earned, and then the, the Compass Preschool receipts as well. Um, we do keep the financial separate for Compass from the church, but for purpose of our business meeting, we kind of just, we, we um, combine them together uh, so that you can just kind of get a, a feel for the big picture. Below that are all of our expenses. They're broken down into basically five major categories, facilities, ministries, personnel, uh, team ministries, and then administration. Um, actually, there's a sixth one. Missions up at the top is just one line, and that's a big one. Uh, so there's, there's real, really six. Um, all of those, you know, you'll see certain line items, and this is not unusual when you're comparing to the budget. Some items are a little bit up, some are a little down, so on and so forth. But if you look at the, the subtotals kind of, the, of of each major category, you'll notice that it appears that we're, we're under budget in our spending in all areas. I think we were up a little bit in administration. That should kind of even itself out. We tend to, uh, with some of our, um, our software costs or, or hardware costs for IT systems, we tend to 
do a lot of those purchases early in the year. And so the cost, some of those costs are there and the budget hasn't fully come through and caught up yet. So that usually kind of evens itself out in the end, you know, by the end of the year. But overall, the staff has done an outstanding job of, of um, the staff and the, the Compass Group, an outstanding job of managing the expenses to keep expenses down, keep expenses below our, our, the, our cash inflows. Uh, there are other, uh, other funds given by the church, like I said, for those specific projects. There's a lot of mission funds, a lot of funds that come through for camps and, and special special things like that. And most of those, uh, again, don't come through the budget because they're not designed to cover budget expenses, just the normal church expenses. They're designed to be used for specifically for missions, specifically go to Lottie Moon or whatever the case may be, or for a mission trip uh, or something like that, or for the building fund. You know, we do have a building fund going for future building, and so a lot of folks give to that, and that, that goes over in that, on that restricted account, on that restricted uh, funds sheet. Uh, but overall, our, our total revenues were $1,670,000, total expenses $1,629,000 uh, for an excess of $40,709. I will say that the general funds receipts, and I think Owen alluded to this this morning, that, that our, the, the ties have been pretty flat for, what, four or five years, and I compared this to last year, and it was almost exactly the same. I think it was actually two or $3,000 below this time last year. That's not a concern. It's just, it's just, it is what it is, right? But that's where that managing of expenses is so important, and our staff do a really good job of being great, great uh, managers of, of the, church's, um, the church's funds. The last page is the restricted accounts. And uh, it's basically four columns as well. It's got a beginning balance, any, in, any inflows that came through, any, any funds that went out, and then it, the ending balance. And so that ending balance of 845 is what agrees to the balance sheet that we looked at earlier. These are all the different earmarked funds that we have. Most, most of what's in these, these accounts has to do with future building, with missions, in that a lot of the missions money that comes through doesn't get alloc fully allocated until the end of the year. And, uh, and so it kind of grows throughout the year. And then down toward the bottom, you'll see a, a couple of, well, you see one for uh, uh, special projects, uh, one that's a, a holding account that's got some funds in it. Um, we have $50,000 put back uh, as an insurance deductible in case we, um, have a tornado in the area and have damage, our, our deductible and our insurance policy is 50,000. We like to have that available and so that we're not having to come up with that if something happens. But any questions on any of that before we, before I turn it back to Owen? Brian, before you sit down, any initial comments about next year's budget? Just going through, I'll, I'll talk about the process here in a second, but yeah. Any, anything you're thinking about for next year in particular? Yeah, it, you know, the budget is it's a kind of a tricky process, and I feel good about our budget um, because we're always, you know, we don't have a crystal ball about what, what ties are going to look like and so on and so forth, so we try to be very conservative on any increases in the budget. Uh, of course, we want to, we certainly want to uh, continue to increase salaries at a reasonable rate because uh, that, that's important. Uh, our, our staff, uh, 
they work hard just like the rest of us do, and, and they're trying to deal with inflationary things also. So that's a challenge when our, our ties are, are pretty flat, but, uh, but certain expenses uh, have to go up each year. And so there are other areas that we kind of have to kind of pull back a little bit and, and see if we can make some cuts in certain areas. But the last thing we ever want to do is, is cut something that, uh, that is – uh, that's an important ministry uh, for the church, that's an important from an outreach perspective or community perspective or, or the church body. And so it's a, it's a very tedious process. We spend a lot of time on the budget. but And so our budget, I don't remember what the percentage was, but it went up a very small amount this year. Uh, but it should be very achievable. And, and uh, the other thing is that uh, within this year's budget, but also within next year's budget, there's a certain amount of things that we budget for. I, I want to say it was about 115000 this year that we don't intend to spend until some later date. So in 2023, we have a, you'll see a couple of reserve accounts in the expense section of the revenue and expense schedule. And what that means is we're putting money back. One of them's for future building, one of them's for special projects. And we're, we're it's in our budget to put that money back, but we're, we're kind of pushing that, that, that aside, and we're earmarking that for future, future projects or future building. We're going to continue to increase that, and I, I think uh, you may go over that a little bit tonight, I guess, because at some point we've got a, a big project uh, on the horizon that we have to, we're going to have to make a decision about. But we need to be able to kind of prove that we can, that we can handle it before we take that on. And so we're, we're, we've got that reserve built into the, into the budget, and it's going to increase in 2024. And the goal is to continue to increase it until we feel like we're to a point where, where we, could, we could repeat that each year and uh, be able to, to tackle that new project in a, in a good, healthy, you know, uh, healthy way from a financial perspective. So, All right, so no questions about that. The budget handout that was out there, I didn't lay these on the table. Many of you had already picked these up. The budget that's been proposed for 2024 is one million nine hundred and forty six thousand five hundred and nine Brian is a 1.67 percent increase is, is what it amounted to from from last year so minimal increase we are continuing to try to raise the you know future building line those those type of things so there's information here any questions even though I said I wasn't going to take questions about next year's budget, but <laughs> we're supposed to vote without questions, but I want to make sure we're, we're clear. This is the budget that we're about to vote on next year's proposed budget. Any final questions about that? Okay, all in favor of the 2024 proposal that was emailed out and printed out, all in favor of that, say aye. Any opposed? All right, wonderful. We got that. Next item, I see Mark walking out either because he didn't like the budget or he's walking out because of the next, uh, the next item on here. This is one of those unfortunate, bittersweet type of situations, mainly bitter just because of you, you hate to lose a good friend. But with Jim Harris's passing, Jim was one of our trustees at Emmaus. What that amounts to is on our nonprofit paperwork, we have certain people on there that sign for legal matters, sign at the bank staff don't need to be a part of that for legal reasons and so we have a certain 
certain people on there. So our officers are Bob Bynum, Brian Wilkinson, and then up through a few weeks ago, Jim Harris. And with Jim Harris's passing, we need to replace that, that position. So different conversations with different people. Mark Rose came up as, as a key name who could, who could play that role for us. So the proposal in front of you tonight is that Mark Rose would be our third trustee or, or third signing officer for, for Emmaus. Doesn't require a second, uh, but I do bring it before you for discussion. Any questions about what this role is? Any questions about Mark's um, position or, or proposal to fill that role? We hope he can go as long as Jim Harris. <laughs> that would be, <laughs> we'll put Mark to the test. Uh, those are big shoes to fill. So, okay. All in favor of Mark Rose serving as a trustee for Emmaus, say aye. Any opposed? All right. Thank you. For our business meetings, that really concludes the business items. Anything on your heart, anything you're thinking about, anything you want us to pay attention to in future meetings? Committees will start to meet together next year for personnel, finance, building grounds. Just anything you want to share uh, right now? Questions? Comments? Wonderful. Page, page 12 of the uh, State of the Church Address. Let's do this. If you, uh, yeah, if you get that in front of you, page 12 at, at the top, it says section 5, Numbers chapter 10, sorry, That's fair. We do things so poorly from like a Robert's Rules of Order that we probably do need to officially close the business meeting. I guess we could close it after I present the State of the Church, but then I'll really not remember to do it then. So, all right, we have a motion from our friend Miss Kay who rescued us here, a motion that we close the business meeting. And this way, nobody else can bring up any other items because you, you closed the business meeting, which I like this. Is there a second that would agree with Kay that we, Gary also seconds that, any comments or discussion about that proposal? Hearing none, all in favor of closing the business meeting adjourning, say aye. Any opposed? Thank you for, uh, for proposing that, Kay. I appreciate that. So, You need people like that in your life to watch out for you. Thank you. All right, here we go. Page 12. Let's do this. As we look back on this morning and think about our need for God's direction and power, I want us to look this evening at Numbers 10. Starting this past summer, we've been studying through the book of Numbers on Sunday nights. At first glance, it might seem like a boring book. We kind of thought that going into the book. I was probably guilty of that as well. But so many powerful lessons emerge from the book of Numbers. Chapter 10 is a key transition point in the book, and I would even argue in the entirety of Israel's story. Since Exodus chapter 19, so if you back up in your Bible to Exodus chapter 19, since that point, the people have been in the wilderness of Sinai, stuck kind of at this point. There's, they're not going anywhere else yet. Beginning in Numbers chapter 10, verse 11, Scripture says, In the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony. 
And the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai. And the clouds settled down in the wilderness of Paran. They set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. The cloud of the Lord will guide the people. And this guidance by cloud and fire is not disconnected from God's word given to Moses. I might stop just for a moment and make a comment about an email I received this last week from a church member. They were working through this tension that we deal with sometimes in life about how the Lord leads us and asking the question, how does God speak to his people? And we have the idea in, not the idea, but the, the teaching in Christianity that the supreme way that God has spoken to his people is through his word. So if you ever have questions about an intuition you have in your heart or a dream or something somebody else says to you, the way we know that God has spoken to us is ultimately in his word. At the same time, we realize that God sometimes speaks into our lives in a number of different ways. Uh, the Holy Spirit's voice suspiciously sounds like my wife's voice uh, quite often. Like, uh, like they seem to sound so similar uh, at times. But a good friend reaches out to you. Someone speaks into your life. God speaks to us in, in a number of different ways, but we know that we always test his, we test those other things according to his word, that his word is above all things and supreme. And so even in the Old Testament, when you're like, man, if I got cloud and fire, that would really help me make some decisions in life. Like that would be nice. But even in the Old Testament, don't miss that they're still being guided by the word of God. That, that reality doesn't change. And so God does speak into our lives in many ways. I believe that. I I can tell you of times in my life, I am certain that the Lord used a dream to guide me, without a doubt. However, God never says anything in a dream that isn't based on the truth of his word. And so if you ever wonder, if, is this true or not, we always go back to scripture. All right, I only belabor that point because I got that email this week, and it's something that we, we deal with. Um, in verses 14 to 28, we see the people moving out orderly according to the responsibilities given to them in the previous chapters. These verses continue the themes of order, harmony, and holiness, which are key to Numbers 1 through 10. If you want to know what three words we studied for the last several months, <laughs> order, harmony, and holiness. In verses 29 through 32, Moses invites his brother-in-law to join them, both for service in the work, but also because Moses doesn't want Hobab to miss the goodness of the Lord. These verses again speak of grace unity and hope. So they set out from the mount of the Lord on a three days journey and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them on a three days journey to seek out a resting place for them and the cloud of the Lord was over them by day whenever they set out from the camp and whenever the ark set out Moses said arise O Lord and let your enemies be scattered and let those who hate you flee before you and when it rested he said return O Lord to the ten thousand thousands of Israel. Notice the theme of rest that is connected with God's power and presence symbolized by the ark. We have seen this same theme in Hebrews 3 and 4. The Lord is moving his people toward the promised land, and he will guide them on this journey with the cloud of his presence, with his spirit, and with his word. When it was time to act, the people were given courage by Moses to move ahead. When it was time to rest, God called on the Lord to protect and refresh the people. These are such comforting themes when we think about church life. We have God's presence and power. We have his grace and his guidance. We have his spirit, his word, and his people. We have the harmony, order, and responsiveness of the people when God speaks. 
we have the inclusion in the story of women, children, outsiders. And then you have this beautiful pattern of activity and rest, courage and comfort. Page 13, it must have been an amazing, fulfilling journey to the promised land for about three days. Um, <laughs> you'll have to join us on Sunday nights in 2024 to see the full effect. But if I told you Numbers 11 begins with, and the people complained, I think you'd get the idea where this story is heading. The people knew the journey would be hard. They knew enemies and giants awaited, but they had the God of Israel with them. They had each other. They had a history of God's faithful provision and guidance. And what did they do? They complained, they rebelled, they sinned, they lost focus. We need to heed this warning. We have amazing days behind us, and we have exciting days ahead. But the way will be hard, and enemies and giants are guaranteed. We must trust God's word and seek his spirit's guidance through unified, desperate prayer. This morning, I presented several frames and plans for the next 10 plus years. I hope I did this in a way that humbly admitted these plans might change. Tonight, before we spend time in prayer together, I want to celebrate five more examples of God's faithfulness to finish out that list from this morning, lay out a quick analysis of our church to help us prepare for the future. This type of analysis can help us know how to pray and prepare for the challenges that might come. So first, let's look back. Let's do six through ten of the top ten lists from 2023. Number six on that list, new hires. In the summer of 2021, we hired Cody to lead students. In the summer of 2022, we hired Kennedy to lead missions. The summer of 2023 saw two new hires. In June, Nola Mosley began working as our office assistant, serving the staff and receiving guests at Emmaus. Paula Lawson came later in the summer in August to lead Compass Christian Preschool and oversee ministry to our preschoolers and their families. Number seven, sabbaticals. A few years ago, Jim Lehu paved the way for staff sabbaticals at Emmaus. No one in the history of mankind has ever deserved a sabbatical more than Jim, and he taught us the value of investing in staff by providing dedicated times away. Jaron followed in 2022. Then in 2023, Courtney and I both stepped away for four weeks, me and May, Courtney, um, in that September, October time frame. Jeff Hemphill is set to have his sabbatical in 2024, probably sometime in the spring. Um, number eight, ages and stages. Cody and Jaron periodically bring the students and senior adults together for game nights, plus they encourage our students and senior adults to pray for one another. The mom of a middle school girl, and this is not a made-up story. I know this looks like preacher talk. I am telling you, this is exactly what happened. A mom of a middle school girl told me that one of her daughter's favorite things in the student ministry was when they had pizza and game night with some of the older adults. Older adults, I know that can seem strange out there. It makes a difference. It matters. Those kids really connect with it. A few weeks ago, an older adult Sunday school class partnered with their fourth grade class prayer partners to pack Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. The Finding Hope support group for loved ones of alcoholics and addicts began in September after years of prayer, and this group is one of the best examples of what it means to encourage and care for one another across multiple stages of life. Each Monday night, a group of men provide mentoring to recovering alcoholics and addicts at the South OKC Hope is a Life home. We love when the Next Gen Praise Team helps to lead musical worship. Age-specific ministry is a great gift. We won't back away from that. But there is something powerful that happens when we connect with people in the church who are in different stages or have different perspectives than our own. Courtney sent me this note recently. When I look back on this year, I feel like it's a common thread of how many kids made salvation decisions at home. 
We, of course, had a ton of decisions during VBS and camp, but I feel like all year long I had parents contacting me to tell me their kid had prayed at a random time during the week. To me, this is an encouragement because it's a reminder to families that God is always working and calling us to him at home, in the car, during sports, at church, etc. Number nine, sermons. On Sunday mornings in 2023, we finished the Gospel of Mark on Easter, then saw how the resurrection overcomes three primary fears, that the past will control us, that the present will overwhelm us, and that the future will disappoint us. Starting this past summer, we began a series in Hebrews that will take us through Easter 2024. Sunday nights in 2023, First and Second Peter, Jude, and then we moved into the book of Numbers. In 2024, after finishing Hebrews on Sunday mornings, we are going to begin a new series on the minor prophets in the Old Testament, and then that will lead into the Gospel of John, which will probably take over a year, and then that will go to the letters of, of John. Sunday nights in 2024, we keep trucking through the wilderness with the people in, in Numbers. If you're curious, at the end of the address is an appendix with an overview of all the sermon series for the past eight years to see what we've studied as a church for the last eight years. We've got that in an appendix. Number 10, prayer. On October 8th, we flipped the service, first the sermon, then singing, then an extended time of prayer. In a way I can't fully explain, God prepared our church for this. Many people told me God has been teaching me about prayer or God has been moving my life toward more dedicated prayer. The students even dedicated their fall retreat to prayer. God is doing something, top of 15, God is doing something in our church family with prayer, and we don't want to miss it. We need God to work by his power and for his glory. We need dependent, discerning prayer. Jaron reminded our staff recently, lack of prayer is not primarily a discipline problem, but a heart problem. We can't separate prayer and faith. To move ahead in faith, we must be a people of prayer. We live in a world with suffering and spiritual warfare. Prayer reminds us where our help comes from and refocuses our hearts and minds on what truly matters. Section 7 in your State of the Church Address is what's called a SWOT analysis. Many of you do, have done this at work or something like this. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Uh, where this came from is I've spent a lot of time praying and thinking this last few months about what the future looks like for Emmaus. And when you look into the future, you get really excited about all these opportunities. And then you think, yeah, but I know enemies and giants are out there. Like, I know challenges are coming. And part of the role of leadership in workplaces, church, life, part of the role of leadership is just to define reality. Like, we have to know who we are right now, where we are right now, to know how to move into the future. And so this is my attempt to do this. I guarantee you there'll be some points on here you won't agree with me or you'll add other things or have other ideas. I just want to lay this out so we'll know who we are so we can think about moving ahead. Okay, strengths for Emmaus. When I think about Emmaus, I think about a church with a strong history of local and global missions. Uh, I think about consistent members who value unity, service, worship, and God's word. I think about members who support and encourage one another. Emmaus is known as a place of healing and hope for those from hard church backgrounds. And we have a good reputation in the community and in our state. What about weaknesses? Again, you might disagree with me here. And I have to admit, the first three weaknesses on this list reflect weaknesses in my own life. Um, number one, we're just not super strong in the area of evangelistic church growth. That, that hasn't been a strength of Emmaus for a long time. And it's just, 
Now, I say that, and we've seen 32 people baptized this year, so that is nothing to scoff at. I mean, praise God for that. That's fantastic. Um, but we have a lot of growth to do in evangelism. And when I say we, I mean the pronoun I. Like, we, we all need to grow, and it, it has to start with me in that area. We've got to continue to push into evangelistic church growth. We have a limited number of small discipleship groups and outside church member interaction. And I know you want to argue back with me on that point. I totally get that. And we are make, making huge strides in this area. But what I mean is Emmaus is really, really good on Sunday morning. I mean, we're in our Sunday school classes. We're doing things. And then we're just really busy. And we live in a suburban area. And so we're separated from people by miles. We go to work. We do our family things. We need to figure out what it means to be the church between Monday and Saturday and make sure we're doing a really good job at that. And Jeff is doing a lot on this. Many of you are meeting with people at other times during the week. So we've got a lot of growth to do here, but, but I think we're going in a good direction. Limited number of leaders and volunteers. And you say, we don't have, well, it's because you're all here tonight. <laughs> like the Sunday night crowd, this, this is the crew. Like the, the Venn diagram between this Sunday night business meeting and our leaders and volunteers, like it's an overlapping two circles. I mean, you guys are those people. When we sit around as staff and talk about leadership and volunteers, the way we talk about this is we have an unbelievable starting team when it comes to volunteers and leaders our bench just is not, is not as deep as we wish it was. Like, we need to have more leaders, more volunteers that we can go to. Lord willing that we would grow, we've got to have leaders ready to go, and we just don't have that right now, and, and we, we have to get there. Number four, take this for what it's worth. Kennedy's not here tonight, so we can't talk about Kennedy's age. She's, she's gone tonight, but uh, staff members are within a limited age range. We're just not super diverse on staff. We have similar personalities, similar gifting, similar stages of life. We're not as diverse as we probably need to be on staff, and we have to pay attention to that. Okay, what are opportunities we have as a church? There is a deep desire among our church for prayer and discipleship, and I do not take that for granted. There's not the certainty, but there's a strong likelihood that Southside OKC will continue to grow. Different factors will play into that, but it seems... You go up to Northwest 160th, and then you compare that to Southwest 160th, and it's just, you know, two sides of the city. And we're scrappy Southsiders. We're not ever going to be jealous of the Northsiders. You know, they can do their own thing up there. They can keep all that up there. But there does seem to be the sense that the South Side could still grow. Like, there's still growth to happen down here, and, and we want to be ready for that. Growth in our young adult ministry and growth in the number of babies and toddlers. I mean, we have babies being born all the time. And more to come, and we've got all these young adults and young couples who are coming. That's a fun, fun place to be in as a church. We have community and local school connections. We have the opportunity of room on our campus to develop buildings and projects and, and handle transition times. What about threats? What keeps me up at night? Well, a lot keeps me up at night. Um, but what are, what are threats? Political turmoil. Will political changes at the local, state, or federal levels radically impact the type of ministry done by local churches? Will worsening tensions in the world lead to war, security threats, or other challenges? I don't think it'll change anytime soon, but, I mean, we live in a world where if property tax rules changed on religious organizations or a number of other things changed, we can't even fathom how quickly that would change, you know, the way that we operate and what that looks like. Now, we're not going to live in fear. That's not going to stop us from making plans, but we just have to realize those are kind of the world we live in. Economic turmoil. Will inflation, recession, other unforeseen events impact the amount of money available to our members? Environmental or just overall tragedies. Severe weather could impact our campus. 
some sort of unexpected tragedy could alter our church and our plans. Top of 16, out of all those options, this is probably the one that stares us most in the face right now, is denominational turmoil. Will the Southern Baptist Convention continue as a denomination? Will the SBC continue to be a healthy partner for Emmaus? Now, if there's denominational changes, that doesn't stop Emmaus from doing ministry. The next day, we just keep moving forward. But it would be a huge loss, and it would definitely change the way we think about a lot of things. And so we don't want to see that happen. We just have to realize that's a possibility that, that, that could be there. For each of the previous four threats, we have almost no control over these circumstances and developments. We can only determine our preparation and our response. However, there are two other threats over which we have some measure of control in terms of how big the impact will be. For each of these threats, which often accompany spiritual warfare, we must fight with the full armor of God. The first would be the threat of internal turmoil or divisions. For the first ten chapters of Numbers, the people were building harmony and holiness. Then, when the journey began, they began to complain, argue, and turn against each other. In the book of Acts, some of the challenges to the church came from the outside, from government officials or cultural pressure. I mean, that's a 2023, 2024 reality. We're worried what the government's going to do or what the culture's going to do to us. But the biggest challenges to the church in the book of Acts and right now come from the inside, neglecting those in need, ethnic divisions, sinful behavior. In the years ahead, our unity and teamwork will be threatened. It will require humility, forgiveness, trust, and patience to walk ahead together. And if God leads people in different directions, we see it with Paul and Barnabas in Acts 15, we'll just continue to trust the Lord and continue to love one another. And then finally, the threat of the loss of focus or the threat of spiritual apathy. Bring on crazy elections and denominational meetings. Bring on the loss of money and property. Even bring on inter-squad squabbles and divisions. The one threat that will truly sink us is if we lose a white-hot focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we become spiritually apathetic and cold, without the resurrection of Jesus, without revival driven by desperate prayers and spiritual power, without a sense of eternal urgency, why even make plans for the future of a church? If you don't have the gospel, then we're just going to close shop and go home. That is the one thing, that is the one threat we cannot allow to become part of our church is a loss of focus and spiritual apathy. You may have heard this somewhere before, but every person on earth faces two problems they can't overcome on their own sin and death but jesus has dealt with both of these through the cross and resurrection on the cross he died for us in our place taking on the sin brokenness and evil of the world and through the resurrection he defeated death rose to reign and will return one day to make all things right section eight prayers of faith in this year's state of the church address we've covered a lot of ground that's an understatement we've covered a lot of ground and i'm excited about the future it's time for faith forward at the same time, we've learned that faith is characterized not only by big plans, but also by faithful daily steps. None of the initiatives in our four frames matter at all if the Lord is not with us, guiding and empowering. Without abiding in Christ, without walking by the Spirit, our efforts will be in vain. What we must do, more than plan, more than raise money, more than build, is pray. God, make us a church of prayer. Make us a people who pray in faith for one another, who pray in faith for the lost, who pray in faith to build up the church and advance the gospel, who pray that God's Spirit will guide us every step of the way. More than once we have ended a State of the Church address, 
address with Ephesians 3. And that's where I want to end again tonight before we transition to a time of prayer. Ephesians 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Here's the plan for right now. I'm going to pray over us as a church family, and then I would like you just to circle up with some people around you. Uh, circling up doesn't work particularly well in our stadium seating chairs, you know, like in these theater style of chairs. But just get together with some people around you, maybe three, four, five people, and spend some time in prayer. And then when your group is finished praying, you're free to go. Thank you so much for, for being here tonight. We just want to spend time as a church praying together. And then we're going to go out and continue to walk ahead in faith. And if you have any questions, catch me this week. I'm going tomorrow. Uh, we're going down to uh, Scottish Rite Hospital in uh, Frisco for one of Emory's checkups. So I'm not around tomorrow, but I'll be back the rest of the week if you guys need anything reach out to me. Let me pray for us, um, and then let's pray together as a church with people around you, and we're going to go out from here. Father, I love this group of people. I, I'm so thankful for this church family. Thank you for your work in our lives individually. Thank you for how you bring us together in local churches. God, thank you for just the beautiful worship service this morning. So, so many people here to be able to celebrate our preschoolers, celebrate those that were being being baptized. God, thank you for a church that even with strong inward relationships is not an inwardly focused church. God, we need relationships in the church, but when those relationships are strong, we love one another, it leads us to take the gospel out. And so I love that about Emmaus. When people think about this place, they think about missions. And God, we see that in our community. We see that around the world, sending out missionaries back onto the field, see that in other places. God, thank you for that part of our church. And God, as we move forward, when people think about Emmaus, I pray that they would think about this as a place of faith where people pray. God, teach us what that means. Teach us what that looks like. God, we are dependent on you. We're thankful for generosity. We're thankful for finances and buildings, but... That's not where the spiritual power comes from, God. We believe it comes from you. And so we want to be a people who are dependent on you, who look to you for guidance, who look to you for spiritual power. And so, God, as we pray together over the next couple of minutes, help us to do that uh, with spirits of joy um, and, and partnership in the gospel. And then as we wrap up, send us out to be your people. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.